0: I want to read, as we begin, a familiar passage I didn't know I was going to read until just now. This is from John chapter 3. The 19th verse says, this is the condemnation or the verdict or the the conclusion that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that practices evil hates the light, neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But the one who practices truth or lives truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest or clearly visible, that they're wrought in God. We begin this morning, I want you to examine your hearts and say inside of yourself, to to ask yourself and to ask the Lord, do I want my deeds to be clearly shown? Do I actually want to know what I am? Nobody's ever been saved by the grace of God until the Lord showed you who you really were. And who we really are before He saves us is hopeless, helpless, evil sinners. That's it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the Apostle Paul said, of whom I'm chief. I think we forget that sometimes because after we're religious for a while, we start to feel like there's different categories of people. We start to feel like we're a little bit... I'm not quite like that guy out there. And, and I just feel compelled to remind us, before we even get into this message, and maybe you'll understand why when we start it, I want to remind you there is no value in religion, there's no merit in religion, there's no justification in religion. Everything that matters is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, none of it is of us. Like I preached recently, Christ Jesus, our everything. And I mean that as literally and as sincerely and as accurately as possible. He's everything. Let's pray as we begin. Holy Spirit, I invite you to be here among us. I already feel you. God, but this is a hard prayer for the flesh to pray, to show us ourselves. To examine ourselves, to reprove ourselves, Lord, we, we ask for your light to come. I don't ask for anything of myself, Lord, I don't care what I sound like today, how put together the message sounds. I, my, you know the infirmity of my flesh, Lord, you know my physical weakness. None of that matters, Lord. What we ask for today is the power of God. We ask for the clear manifestation of your presence. Come Holy Spirit, be among us. You take all the glory today, all the credit, all the honor, all the praise. Lord Jesus Christ, you alone are worthy. Let the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. And Wherever there's darkness in our hearts today that you may show us, that you would would reprove it, that you would cast it out, that you would wash us by the water of your word, Lord. I thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to approach uh, the word of God. And to preach the word of God because that's how you cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So come today, Lord, and do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Brother Josh, I just have to say I wanted to say a minute ago, I wish we'd pray again. I'm so glad that God laid that on your heart. So felt like we needed His word, and I'm so thankful that we can reach out and touch Him yes. in prayer. Oh, what a privilege! Oh, what a privilege that is! Amen. Pray for me? Amen. Amen. Try to pray for y'all. Amen. Amen. Draw me nearer, precious Lord. Yes, Lord. The message today: what the Lord's been burdening me with. Your flesh is not going to like it, but those of you who are redeemed by the grace of God. That redeemed part of you craves for God to continue to do a work. He who has begun a a good work in you will perform it unto the end. The message today is a warning against pride. A warning against pride. We're going to talk about the dangers of pride and the necessity of humility. And humility is not something that's natural for our flesh. And it's difficult for us. Uh, it's, it's built in, you might say, in a biological way, uh, th- that this is hard. Uh, we just read from the Gospel of John chapter 3, but I want to turn to the second chapter of First John. We're going to consider this as we begin the message. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world... If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Brothers and sisters, the only way we're going to live eternally is to do the will of God. Amen. Say, well, how do you do the will? Of, it's not something you do, it's something you submit to and surrender to. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the the Pharisees, you won't enter into heaven. There's no way our righteousness from physical activities could exceed their righteousness. We don't even know all the rules they obeyed. (laughs) We're Gentiles, let's be honest. He's saying there has to be a righteous transformation of your heart. And that only is accomplished through the Holy Spirit. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of of the Father, but is of the world. We need to take a warning to this today, the pride of life. There is something going on around us that the prince of the power of the air is in charge of, and that is to draw all of your attention, all of your energy to these things, the lust of the flesh, the pride of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's not new. This is how he deceived Eve. This. This is Satan's oldest tool in his toolbox and what he's continued doing all along. He's clever, he's cunning, but he's not original. He just he does what works. And we don't need to be ignorant of his devices. Um, I want to give you some, some thoughts on pride and then consider a few additional scriptures today. First of all, pride distances us from God pride separates us from god god dwells with the humble but casts away the proud if nothing else i mean we could we could latch on to this understand it deeply and stop the message stop preaching if we could really understand pride separates you from the presence of god therefore why would you want any of it god dwells with the humble but casts away the proud Pride is the underlying cause of all human suffering. You might not have thought about it like that before. I, I'm, just, I'm telling you some things God put on my heart as I was preparing this week. I really believe that. Pride is the underlying cause. Everything that's wrong in the world started with and is perpetuated by pride in somebody. It started with pride in that angel that was cast out of heaven, and then a third of the angels who were f- cast out following him, and then in the deception of the first man the first woman, and then the man following her instead of God it all started with pride. Yes. This is how dangerous it is. Pride, you might say this, and I'm dwelling on this because we need to get it. Pride ruined the world. Yes. Pride caused the destruction of humanity, except for the eight that got on the ark. Pride. Pride changed what heaven was like. Pride. I will ascend. I will be lifted up like the Most High. Pride. In fact, I think this is accurate. All of the world, all the suffering in the world, the curse is a result of pride. All of creation groaning to be delivered even until now, that's a result of pride. But... in contrast to that, humility. I really believe this. Humility is the foundation of all human flourishing. There's, there's a lot of so-called humanitarians in the world. And you can find out the people who really want to do something good for someone else, they're humble people. The people who want to do something good for their own ego and act like they're helping someone else, which a whole lot of politicians are always doing. on both. I'm not talking about... Um, A political party. I'm talking about the nature of political elites. That's what they do. They act like they help somebody else to boost their own ego. That's pride. It doesn't help the person. Real uh, humility is the foundation of human flourishing. Why? Because life, which is what human flourishing is, life is in Christ Jesus. He said, I am the life. Not just eternally, but here in this earth yes. in other words, anything that I hope to do for somebody else needs to be prompted by, sustained by, moved by Jesus Christ, yes. through the Holy Spirit. Let me be clear, I can't help you unless God helps me help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, some of us who are Helpers, or we're responsible for the world, or whatever. I'm wired that way. I I feel like everybody is my responsibility around me. But you know, I can't help anybody without the Lord's help. And sometimes when we try to help someone, we're actually hurting them. It turns into pride, even though we didn't mean for it to be. We have to be careful. Now, pride is foundationally, I mean at its very essence, an inappropriate focus on yourself. That's what pride is. It's rooted in self-focus and self-concern. Pride concerns yourself with how you feel. And I'm telling you, it might look like something really good. But that's the most simple test for whether pride is involved. Humility, by contrast, is fundamentally focused on others. The royal law, as, as Scripture calls it, can only be fulfilled through humility. Love God. Love your neighbors as yourself. Only humility can help you accomplish that because you're not thinking about yourself, thinking about other people. The aim of this message or the goal of this message, I want to be clear about this, it's not to get you to think less of yourself. Although for some of you that might be necessary. Maybe some of you need to have your ego crushed. And I'm not pointing fingers, I don't know, because this is a matter of the heart. And only God can see your hearts. But here's what I do know. Brokenness is a good thing. We resist it. Everything in our flesh resists brokenness. That's actually the means by which God builds us up and strengthens us and equips us for His work. So don't be afraid of brokenness. If this message feels difficult to you, it might be because there's something in you that needs breaking. But my goal is not to get you to think less of yourself. My goal is to get you to think of yourself less. Do you understand the difference? And that's really what humility is. Humility is not having a low opinion of yourself. It's not about how dumb and broken and useless you are, as a lot of our brothers talk about. That's not the goal. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I have met, by God's grace, some people in my life who are incredibly successful in the world, and they're very humble. They're not thinking about themselves. And I've met some people who are messed up in the world and they're full of pride. And everything in between. What I'm saying is there's not a correlation. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean um, that you can't be humble. In fact, you should be. Because you should recognize that everything we've received is from the Father of lights. (laughs) With whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Nothing I got, I got on my own. So what am I going to be proud about? This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in one place. He said... uh, How are you going to boast like you did something to receive it? I'm paraphrasing. It's all from God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The goal in this message, and really our goal in in worshiping the Lord in general, it's, it's not to think how bad we are. It's to have an accurate opinion of ourselves in relation to the triune God. You know what that means? Let's think about that for a moment. We're adopted children by God the Father. We're fellow heirs with His Son, the King, Jesus Christ. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. (sighs) You better be humble, but man, don't walk around with your head down how pitiful. Of course you're pitiful. Of course you're useless. God came to change that. I get so tired of hearing about all the things you can't do. We already know that. Talk about what God can do through you and what He is doing. And if He's not doing anything through you, open your eyes. I want to say that again. We're the adopted children of God the Father. We're fellow heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives and moves and operates inside each one of us who are truly His. None of that is a result of anything we've done, but only of His grace and mercy. So how could we have pride about any of it? I mean, God saves you, literally, through no works of righteousness which you have done or could do. There's nothing you can do to be saved. Except surrender. I mean, Scripture says repent. That's what it means. Come to God and throw yourself on His mercy. Surrender. Unconditional surrender. I don't preach accept Christ, make a decision for Christ. I preach surrender to the King of glory. That's what it takes. Fallen man, C.S. Lewis said this, fallen man is not simply uh, a creature in need of improvement. A lot of people think that. Oh, he's good at his core. He's got a good heart. No, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Some people are evil. Yes. And when, to finish the quote, fallen man is a, is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Right. When God saved you, right before the moment He saved you, you were His enemy. yes. Do you understand that? Until the moment of unconditional surrender. While the Holy Spirit was drawing you, you were His enemy. You didn't do anything to make Him want you. He wanted you because He wanted to. I don't know why. (laughs) But I thank Him. Praise the name of Jesus. So listen, Salvation's simple. We make it complicated. We, We get all distracted about it. We're... We've already talked about we're coming into this. Some people call it a revival. Some people call it an effort meeting. I try to not call it a revival because who am I to say, I don't know. But here's the point. Our focus needs to be on the Lord and He needs to do it. It doesn't need to be on the lost, the focus. It doesn't need to be on what's happening. It doesn't need to be on results. It needs to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of what this message is going to be about today. So. In this message, we're going to talk about the dangers of personal pride as well as the dangers of pride within the body of Christ. And it's a teaching message, but also prayerfully the Lord will help me, so it'll be a a powerful preaching as well, which I can't do without Him. Let's let's consider first of all what pride is. I've talked about it quite a bit today. But sometimes, to accurately preach on a subject, we need to define what we're actually talking about. Now, I think, at our core, somewhere, we know what pride is. But let's just say, uh, look at it. Um, this is from Webster's 1828 dictionary. He said, "Pride is inordinate self-esteem." Yeah. Uh, let's let's dwell on that for a second. Inordinate self-esteem. That's a good description. It's accurate inordinate self-esteem. An unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority. An unreasonable... Listen, some of y'all are very beautiful people. It's okay to know that you're pretty. I'll say to the young women in particular, my little girl, more often than anything else, I call her beautiful. Hello, beautiful. Good morning, beautiful. That's, that's my main nickname for her. I think she's beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. And some of you young women, you're beautiful. And... and Even if the world doesn't think you are, if you're God's daughter, you're beautiful to Him. That's not something to have pride about. You don't want to have unreasonable conceit of your own superiority, talents, beauty, wealth, or accomplishment, or rank, or elevation of office. Because here's what it causes. He says, It manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, and reserve, and often in a contempt of others. You ever been around somebody that there's this cold disconnect? It's because of pride. I want to be very clear. It's because of pride. That person may not think they're proud, but it's because of pride, because pride focuses on the self. If there's a coldness and a disconnect, it's because of pride. Now, they may actually think they're better than you, and then it's very clearly because of pride. But they might not consciously think they're better than you, and there's still a disconnect. Pride. Distance, reserve, and contempt of others. Scripture teaches us, and this is in the definition of Webster's 18.28. That's why I like it. Proverbs 16.18, pride goeth before destruction. Daniel 4.37, those that walk in pride, he's able to abase. from Zechariah uh, I will cut off the pride of the Pil- Philistines Psalm 36 talks about proud persons this is fascinating I never knew this he's, he's got the eighth definition here it says excitement of the sexual appetite in a female beast is that interesting now we don't use it that way anymore but what are these festivals all around us where they're celebrating sexual appetite they call it pride festival isn't that wow we stop using this word in this way But Satan still is. Awakening of the sexual appetite. Wow. That's just a side note. It's not really where where my focus is at today. Uh, Inordinate self-esteem. Let me me prove this with Scripture, why I think his definition was really accurate. Romans 12.3, the Apostle Paul wrote, I say through the grace given unto me to every man or to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. That's where Noel Webster got the idea to define, I mean, Scripture teaches. The Apostle Paul didn't say everybody should think lowly of yourselves. He said don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think. It's less prideful to be aware of what God has gifted you with, to use it for Him and to give Him the glory. That's less prideful than it is to pretend you don't have it. Do you understand? If you're a beautiful person, thank God for it. If you're well-spoken, thank God for it and use it for Him. If you're a natural leader, thank God for it and use it for Him. If you're naturally compassionate and tender, thank God for it and use it for Him. Because he, it's all Him anyway, whatever He's done. Don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think but think soberly. That's that's what's on my heart with this message that we would have a sober opinion of ourselves. And this phrase is really interesting, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Your ability to work in the kingdom of God has to do with faith, which is from him. It's the faith of Christ. And if you're able to do something for Him, it's only through faith. There is no religious activity apart from faith. And if you're able to do it, it came from Him. So what are you boasting again anyway? You know where the first example of pride in Scripture, at least this is the first really clear example that I see. There might have been pride before this, but I'm talking about you open up your Bible and start reading. Here's where you really clearly see pride. Genesis 3.6 When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's why Eve ate the fruit. And then Adam wanted to eat it because it was easier to listen to his wife than God in that moment. Adam wasn't deceived, Eve was. We've preached about that, and Scripture clearly teaches it. But Eve was deceived through... Now, she had not yet sinned. I want you to understand, at this moment, there was no human sin in the world. And yet that temptation was still there. Wow! So, if a person who had never sinned before could be tempted to sin through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we better be even more careful than we think. I'm talking about wary against pride. Yes. This is dangerous. It's not no big deal. Pride's a big, big, big deal. A few other scriptures about it. Proverbs 6, beginning in 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, even seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and running to mischief, a false witness who speaks lies, and he who sows discord among brethren. Wow, how many of those apply directly to the congregation? But the one we're focusing on today is is pride. The, The seven things that the Lord hates. We're told from Proverbs, the very first thing He lists is a proud look. Another translation words it this way, Haughty eyes. You know what, it, it's thinking that you're actually higher than someone else. A proud look. Have you, you know, have you ever met somebody with a proud look? They carry The most clear example of a proud look in Scripture is, is the Pharisees. Some of them were honest enough in their pride to say it out loud. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. <laughs> Extortioners, unjust, or even like this publican. <laughs> Could you imagine being so proud? I like how honest that guy was. He was proud. And Jesus said the the tax collector who couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, beat on his chest, said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He said that man went to his house justified. But the religious elite man who prayed like this did not. Man, beware of religion. Be careful with religion. It's dangerous. But you know what? Jesus isn't. Oh, he's dangerous to, to evil sinners. If they don't repent and trust Him and surrender. But to us, He's not dangerous. He's a loving Father and a loving brother. It's beautiful. A proud look. Be careful with that. <clears throat> this uh, isn't the thrust again, but a side note. Um, that last part of these, these seven things... A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. Another way of wording that is a person who stirs up conflict in the Christian community. You know what we're taught to do with those kind of people? Mark them and avoid them. They're bad. They're bad. And I want to be very clear, church. Listen, God is adding to this congregation by His own purpose and His own grace. We better not take credit for any of it and part of him adding is there's growing pains. This Listen, it, we're supposed to be a body. And when you have body parts added, it's, it's uncomfortable. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, just think of a little kid. They're not having body parts added, but they're expanding. Like our, like our church body is. There's growing pains. And we're also like a family. And when family members are, are added, or it changes the dynamic, but what we—I've been preaching this since I got here because our enemy, so oh, he's bad and cunning, and he wants to destroy everything good that's going on here, and he does it in little subtle ways. If you find after service somebody coming to you and saying they don't like this or that or something, the preachers—they need to be telling that person and not you. And what you should do is tell them. Listen. Listen, listen, don't tell me that. You got a problem with Brother Josh? Tell him. Yes, yes. yes. I don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. Right. Do You understand? That's what you can do. Right. This is bad. And it has destroyed churches. And so you seem a little bit mad. I am. <laughs> I'm mad at Satan. Yeah. Because he destroys what God is doing through cunning, clever deceit, and craftiness, and little subtle things. You better be careful what you. You know what? Anytime somebody comes to me and starts venting about a preacher, their pastor, something they don't like. I, sometimes I've said more than I should. I'm careful because David gave us the example. God forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. Yes. He was talking about Saul, who was trying to murder him, who was possessed by a demon. If I read Scripture correctly, and he said I I can't say anything bad about that man. He's the anointed of God. Mm -hmm. You be careful talking to somebody about a preacher. If this isn't for my own pride, if hey, if you're mean to me, God's going to get you. I I mean that. You can't get by with it. Do I'm not joking. You can't get by with it. But there will be consequences. There will be damage to the body. That's why I'm upset. And some of that has gone on here. You know how I know? Because it goes on in every church. That's how I know. (laughs) Stop it. I don't know if anybody here has done any of that, but if you have, stop it. And if somebody you know is saying things, tell them to quit. Go tell the person you have a problem with. And before that, go tell God. Go tell God first. It's not no big deal. Don't stir up conflict in the community of God. What does pride look like? We're told uh, that the Lord hates these seven things, and the first thing is a proud look or haughty eyes. It looks, as I already mentioned, like that Pharisee from Luke 18. I want to read it in case I misquoted any of it. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what self-righteousness does. It makes you treat others with contempt or disdain or despise others is how the King James says it. Jesus told this. This is his words. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. (laughs) I, I can't even read this without laughing or being angry because this is so disconnected from reality. I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, beat on his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't that beautiful? Humble yourselves in the sight of God that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares upon Him for He cares for you. That's the scripture. Pride looks like this. The wicked, through the pride of His countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of His thoughts. Hey, beautiful. I can't pick you up right now. I love you. Thanks for coming to see me. That's Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. I remember very clearly when the Lord showed me. I mean, I've read this passage before and heard it before, but there was a moment, I was already a preacher, when I read it and I realized that's why it took me five years to be saved. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance. I remember being a 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 year old boy, not wanting people to see me cry. That's why I wouldn't pray. Isn't something? How could a child be that proud? Because it's in our nature. I wasn't trained to be that way. I was trained to be the opposite. But it was in me. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. Let, let, me, let me be very clear. Pride is what causes you to care what others think. <coughs> Pride's what makes you doubt yourself when the Lord leads you to do something. Yet yeah, some of y'all don't even know that. I've heard some of the most meek and tender and sincere women of God talk about being concerned about testifying. I felt like God was leading me, but I'm so afraid I'll say the wrong thing. I'm, I just want—that's pride. You don't think it is, but it is. God doesn't need you to be cautious for him. He can take care of himself. If the holy now, amen. Things should be done decently and in order. But if God is leading you to do something, you don't have to worry about it. If He's in it, amen. so what is important is to know the voice of God. Amen. Not to be concerned about how am I going to sound? What if I don't make sense? What is that person going to think? What if I confuse somebody? None of that should be on your mind. What should be on your mind is, is this the Lord prompting me? And if it is, I want to follow Him. He'll work everything else out. Pride's what makes you worried about how others perceive you. It's hard sometimes preaching and you know, I don't... I don't know what y'all think of me, sometimes, some well, <laughs> my, my wife thinks I'm pretty aggressive and harsh, and I probably am toward her more than I should, actually I am more than I should be, that's true, and I, I, I'm sorry for that. Other people think I'm nicer than I am. Here's the point, uh, when I get up to preach, I can't think about what y'all are going to think how you're going to receive it, whether you're going to be mad at it. I can't think about that stuff or I'm not able to preach. Yeah. Yeah. And so every message I preach is imperfect because I'm, I'm an imperfect person. But praise God, the message we preach is more important than the messenger. Yeah. Amen. We can get up and preach a message from God and it's not going to be perfect because I'm not perfect. But what He sent will be. Yeah. Amen. He, if you will submit and surrender to Him through the Holy Spirit, can speak to you exactly what you need to hear. And you surrender that pride to Him. If I said something that hurt your feelings, you didn't like you say, Lord, was that just because He's a man or should I be mad? Or maybe there's some darkness in your heart being exposed. Don't forget that. That's how we started this message. It's uncomfortable for the light of God to shine on your darkness. But all sincere children of God crave that. Pride's what. This is what I was talking about just now. Pride is what makes you worried about how others feel. You, the, you might not can tell this, but I, I, I hate it when somebody has their feelings hurt at me. I lose sleep over it. Because I, I'm, I'm kind of a direct... I say what I feel like I should say. I'm a little bit direct, and I don't regret that. But man, if somebody's feelings are hurt at me, I lose sleep over it. But I can't not say what I'm supposed to say because I'm afraid your feelings will be hurt. Right? I can be gentle. But sometimes Jesus wasn't gentle. We can't worry about what other people feel. We have to worry about, not even worry, we need to focus on what is God leading me to do, what will please Him. So you need to know the voice of God, and you need to know what God cares about. And that's how you need to govern your life. Pride is inextricably intertwined with self. Some of you still don't really understand that pride is a, is, a, is a danger. Some of you still you think, I'm not a proud person. And maybe you're not by comparison to somebody else, but the somebody else isn't the comparison. Jesus is. He's our standard. Self, and therefore pride, again, is the root of all sin. Sin entered the world through pride. First Lucifer and the fallen angels, and then through even Adam. That's why we read from 1 John 2 in the beginning, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. The pride of life is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And everything in our culture right now is... Um, centered around the pride of life. All the social media apps, (laughs) all that marketing, and the advertising, it's all about the pride of life. So it affects all of us. Let me give you a really clear test. I don't remember if I said this yet. If I did, then it needs repeating. This is a, a, a simple question you can ask yourself to see if you have pride, or if pride is a threat to you. This is a really simple question. Am I human? I'm not being funny. If you're a human, pride is a danger to you. You might be a a humble person by comparison, but beware. You know humility can become pride? You can become prideful about being humble. The enemy's so I've I've been there before. I mean, you're like, wow, I... <laughs> that conversation went really well. Or like, you know, somebody, I don't... Sometimes the Lord's working and He gives you, don't take this the wrong way, but He gives you a prophetic awareness of something that's happening. And the person's, how could you know that about me? The Holy Spirit. And then, and then you realize it's not because of you, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And then you start saying, well, yeah, I'm being really humble about this. The moment you recognize you're being humble, you're not being humble anymore. Because humble is not something you're being. It's an attitude of the heart. It's not something you do. It, it, it's here. So you can even be prideful about being humble. Okay, now let's talk. We talked about Scripture a little bit. We talked about personal pride and the dangers of personal pride. Let's talk a little bit before we close about pride in the body of Christ. And I'll mention this a little bit, but let's, let's take some time to dwell on it. 1 Corinthians 12:27 says, "Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it." Or as King James says, "members in particular." Watch. I get a drink. My head through the nervous system told my hand to pick up this cup. But my elbow and my shoulder and the tendons and ligaments and the extensor muscles and really even my core because I had to bend over. Here's what I'm trying to say. The head told the hand to pick up and get a drink of water. My whole body was involved. And if there's a disconnect or something broken in one of those joints, it affects my whole body. Some of you have operated with a shoulder injury. I got this this shoulder's messed up. I can't pick it up past there. And if I try to do something with this arm, my whole body has to compensate. Look, let me be really clear. God gives us the example that the church is a body. Some of y'all understand arthritis? Don't be an arthritic church member. Some of you have joints that are locked up and it makes the re- Don't be like that. Don't be like that. The way we behave and where our heart is at and where our mind is at affects how the rest of the body moves and functions. We're supposed to all move in harmony and unison. We're supposed to move together. And the only way we can do that is if every body part is listening to the head. And then is also submissive to the other body part. My brain, my head, told my hand to pick up and clench this glass, but my elbow and my shoulder had to be willing to be moved along by what the hand was told to do. You understand? Sometimes God tells the hand to do something. He didn't tell the elbow to do it. He told my hand to go here and clench. He told the elbow to open up. He told the shoulder to lift. It is just like this in the congregation of God. And Paul, this is in chapter 12. I preached about chapter 13 recently. 12, 13, and 14 are all in the context of how the congregation of God should operate. We should be so consumed with love that whatever that elbow needs, that shoulder is going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Let each one esteem others highly, more highly than themselves. Right? But we should also recognize... If my hand thinks my head said, stick your hand in the fire, (laughs) the elbow might say, I don't think I'm going to open up to that. That's not good. You see? God doesn't tell the body parts to violate His truth, but He tells them to be pliable and, and in harmony with the other body parts when He's leading. You're the body of Christ. There's a reason Jesus uses clear teachings like this. Now, as the body our full focus must be on Christ the head. Period. The foot doesn't know what's best for the whole body. The left elbow doesn't know what's best for the whole body. Only the head knows what the body needs. And only when all the body parts are hearing and responding to the head and then moving together in harmony will the body function as Christ intended. Now, I don't know what body part you are, and you might not know either. Talk to God about that. He'll show you. But to use the metaphor that Scripture taught us, some of you might be a little pinky. You might be a thumb. You might be a wrist. Whatever you are, first of all, God made you that part on purpose. If you are a wrist, don't try to be a shoulder. Look at the difference in the size of these joints. Also, the wrist can only do this, it can't do all like the shoulder. You see what I mean? And if you're a foot, don't try to be a mouth. You're not lesser because you're a different body part. Paul expands on that. He says the parts of us that are less comely are the ones that receive more attention. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think about, I'll say this since Brother Joe's not here and he doesn't get on the internet and it won't go to his head, but y'all can tell him later. I think about somebody like him that sits there quietly most of the time, who's unobtrusive, who's not loud, who doesn't get attention. But man, is he dependable. And his dependability is not just in body. There's a dependable love there. There's an unconditional love that you feel. I've known people like that in my life. Praise God that I have. And some of you have too. And there's a characteristic humility. And part of that humility is he's not trying to be a part of the body that he's not. He knows he's not the mouth. He knows he's. I, I don't know what body part, but you understand what I'm saying? Don't try to be something you're not. Give God credit and glory for the things that He made you to be. And move together in harmony with the rest of the body. Now, we're clearly told in Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our uh, infirmity or our weakness, for we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for word, groanings which cannot be uttered. If we don't even know what we need to pray... What makes you think you know what some other body part should be doing? Mm-hmm. You don't even know how to pray for yourself. Yeah. That's Scripture. The Holy Spirit prays for us because we don't even know what we really need. Amen. Wow! Yeah. So, I'm up here, I don't know what body part I am. Maybe today I'm the mouth because I'm trying to speak what God put on my heart. I'm not the head. I'm telling you what He put on my heart, but I don't know what you need to do. Specifically. Generally, you need to follow Him. But specifically, you've got to listen to the head for that. Yeah. If we don't even know what to pray for for our own selves, how can we possibly know what's best for the body without clear revelation from the head? This is why in a really subtle way, it's so neat to me, when we come together, Sister Jody and I never talk about Uh, the message. We don't collaborate on Friday night. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm preaching Friday night. Not through lack of concern, but that's how the Lord works. He has to reveal in His own time. We don't say, what's your message going to be? Let me carefully craft these songs around it schedule. No. But you know, many, many, many times the message and the songs go hand in hand. That's how God works because she's trying to hear from the head or whoever's leading singing and I or whoever's preaching is trying to hear from the head. And when it's like that, there's harmony. When my head, see, I, I explained it earlier like my head told my hand to do this, but really the head told the nervous system and the nervous system told everything involved what to do. You know who the nervous system is in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the head. The Holy Spirit is the nervous system. And you're whatever body part you are. It's a beautiful thing when we'll just surrender to the Lord. Now, I'm going to say something that's not very missionary Baptist of me. And that's okay because it's scriptural. And in fact, it may be more Baptist than than the people who've gotten off track. Uh, It's unscriptural and dangerous to place our focus... Inappropriately, upon recruiting additional body parts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what body part you are. And so I'm not standing down at the road saying thumbs needed for our congregation. Left feet needed for our congregation. Come join with us. You can be a right elbow. I don't know what parts are needed to be added. And that's why there's not member recruitment done. In fact, you've noticed, I was thinking about this today. I'm not sure since I've been here if one single member has joined when I opened the doors of the church. One, I hardly ever do that because I don't want to do membership recruitment. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But unless I'm forgetting somebody, almost everybody I've thought of has been so moved by the Lord that this is what I need to do, that they raise their hand or they walk up, or they, they, they knock. <laughs> and Jesus said, "Those who knock I'll open." And that's something that's been a profound uh, experience for me. God is adding. This is my point. He's adding. And people come and go, and some, you know that's sad, and it, and it really upsets me. But God adds, and He knows the body parts that need to be here. It's dangerous to focus on recruiting body parts. It's also dangerous as we go into a revival effort. I want you to know this. It's unscriptural and it's dangerous to place too much attention on the lost. Yeah. Let me say it again. It is unscriptural and dangerous to place too much focus on lost people. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell you what's going to go on in almost every revival around here. Mm-hmm. Lost center, we're here for you. Sinner friend, come seek the Lord. And then everybody starts milling around bugging people. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit draws. Amen. That's right. Amen. Now, if God leads you to do something, do it. Mm-hmm. But it's not your job to be busy doing what the Holy Spirit does. He's, he's enough to do it on His own. Yes. Furthermore, church, congregation, <laughs> saved people of God... It's not our job. Sometimes I think safe people point out all the resistance of the lost. Why aren't they up here praying? Why are you up here praying, brother, sister? Why aren't they broken, lost people? Why are you broken? This is not lost on me. When God saved my soul, it was in a youth meeting. It was a revival. Up in Indianapolis, July 4th, 1999, Independence Day. There were too many people in the floor praying, a lot of saved people, for me to get to the altar. There were too many people in the way. I, I, I Up in Indiana, it was about over there somewhere. <laughs> Let's not pick on lost people, expect them to do something we're not even willing to do. So you see, man, I'm a little bit mad about that because it's unscriptural. <laughs> we need to get broken. And you know what? When God saves somebody, we've forgotten this as people who claim to be His people. When He saves somebody, it is wholly of Him. Yes. And part of me preaching this message, a warning against pride, we don't need to take credit for any of it. Yeah. And therefore, we don't need to get too excited about any of it. Yeah. You know, when people ask me, how's church going in Hendersonville? Here's the main thing I tell them, and I mean it with sincerity. It is wonderful. God is meeting with us. I don't talk about, we had this number added, this people... Sa-. You know why? Because I don't know if you got saved or not. Mm-hmm. That's right. A lot of people fake it. Amen. There are people wolves in sheep's clothing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't talk about the stats and the results because you know what? That stuff could be going on apparently and if the presence of God is not here, I'm not, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to jump ship the moment something happens. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... I want the presence of God more than the apparent blessings of God. Because when I tell people the Lord's been meeting with us, that is purely honest. It seems like some people are uniting with the church. It seems like he's saving some people. Praise his holy name. But we don't need to glory in that church. Listen, this is something our people, our brothers and sisters have gotten in the habit of. It's dangerous. Yes, it is. You know why it's dangerous? Because only one person is worthy of any glory, any attention, any praise. And that's Jesus. Amen. We don't take credit for any of it. And we better not. I've said this in revivals. Maybe it's why I don't get, preached, get, get invited to preach a lot of revivals. I preach like this. And I say, lost sinner, we're not here just for you. That's right. They've been told their whole life, no wonder they go to the altar for 18 years. <laughs> You we're here just for Jesus Christ died just. No, he didn't die just for you, he died to lift the curse from the universe. You're not that important. Right. Do you understand? Oh, he wants to save you, but it wasn't just for you, he died to please his father. Amen. And as a result of him pleasing his father, you have access to eternal life. Amen. It wasn't just for you. You see? Do you see, listen, do you see how unscriptural doctrines sneak in in ways that seem good? Doesn't it sound nice to say, sinner friend, we're here just for you? God died just for you. Doesn't it sound nice, it feels good, but it's not true. I'm not here for lost people, I'm here to worship God. Yeah, Amen. Yes. The funny thing is, many times those phrases and that teaching is is in services where there aren't even any lost people. If you're here just for the lost, why go out there. That's where they are. We're here to worship God. Now, if you've never been saved by the grace of God, why not? If He has dealt with you, and He's drawing you, and you're uncomfortable, and you don't maybe... All those years I was lost, I hated going to church. Because I couldn't breathe. Because the Holy Spirit was moving. If that's going on, man, why don't you repent and surrender to Him? There's no reason to be miserable. There's your altar call. Seek the Lord if He's drawing you. Now, we might be achieving all kinds of apparent external results what I mean is, maybe it seems like people are being saved. And I've heard preachers say this, and they mean well, but it's not scriptural. I've heard them say things like, if your church isn't growing, you're not pleasing God. Well, goodness, growth is not all about membership numbers. Amen. Sometimes God is doing a spiritual work that requires you to be broken. And you can't be broken in the midst of apparent success. Yeah. Some of y'all remember, not many are here. Some have gone on to heaven. And, but I've been... Trying to pastor here, it'll be two years in January. And before that, John Michael, uh, the previous pastor, he asked me to, to fill, to, if I would be willing to preach. And then Alan asked me if I could preach on an interim basis. You know what God put on my heart to preach in the beginning for those of you who weren't here? The first message. I told this pitiful little group of people, eight or ten people or six people depending on the day, not knowing if they could pay the bills, not knowing if they could keep the building up. This is what God put in my heart. You remember, I said, I'm praying for God to break you. You might think, man, we're already broken. Look what He can build from the ashes. And I meant it because God put it in my heart. We don't need to be lifted up. God is adding. He's working. I think He's going to keep bringing people in. And what we need to do is keep our eyes on Him. We can't take credit for any of it because we're not doing it. I love hearing all testimonies. People talk about being saved by God's grace. And so many of them talk about maybe they were exposed to the gospel at church. They started seeking at church. But a lot of them had to get off alone. Get in their car get in their kitchen, get in their bathroom, wherever, to be alone with God. You know why? Because salvation is a, a personal thing that God does with you. It doesn't have anything to do with any of us. Literally. <laughs> now, the warning from Jesus, and just so you know, I don't think I'll be much longer, Uh We might be achieving all kinds of external results, checking all the boxes, and yet inside we're full of dead men's bones. Here's what Jesus said. Woe to you, teacher of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. You know a lot of churches are full of dead people? (laughs) We don't need to do that. That's what religion does. And the Pharisees were the best religious people in history. Let's don't be Pharisees. There's a little children's song that popped in my head just now. It says, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're no fair, you see. <laughs> they, they think they're better than everybody else. Let's don't do that. Listen, if Christ is the head, and I already mentioned this, then the Holy Spirit, among His other beautiful and glorious functions, is like the nervous system of the body. Just as the human body, so also in the body of Christ. The head sends instructions via the central nervous system to all the body parts. Or Jesus Christ sends instructions through the Holy Spirit. But there can be blocks and problems inside the body that keep the message from getting through. I I, uh, didn't know if I was going to mention this, but I feel like I should. A lot of you know this. Some of you don't. My wife and I have been married, it would be five years in May. Three weeks after we got married, she ended up completely paralyzed, knocked down. And my chiropractor came to see her, see us at Vanderbilt, and that his kindness has always overwhelmed me. His father was, I didn't know, he was in late stages of Alzheimer's at the time, and I wondered why his dad was with him. That's why he couldn't be alone. So here's Dr. Scott and his dad at Vanderbilt, and he comes there and he tells Mary, at this point, she had no control of anything below here. And, and the control here was slowing down. And he said, um, what I want you to do while you're laying there in bed is draw the alphabet with your toes. And she said, well, I can't move my feet. He said, that's okay. The brain knows. And if you'll keep doing that, it's going to establish the neural pathways quicker. Later, doctors and everybody said she recovered faster than pretty much anybody they had seen. And I think part of that is because of his instruction for her to focus on the head. You understand what I'm... I'm not just getting emotional about an experience I had. I'm saying God allowed us to go through a hard time, and he continues to show me lessons about that. And she lived through a time when her body literally could not respond and, and that doctor told her, you keep focusing on the head. Because when it gets back to where your body parts can hear, then the nervous system is going to be working better. Listen, there's going to be times in a church, in any church, where it's less good than it could be, or when it's better at other times, when things are great, when things are not so great, when we're moving well as a body, when we're not moving well as a body. If we keep our eyes on the head, yes. it's going to work out. Does that make sense? Yes. The head might send instructions to one body part, but if the corresponding body parts aren't pliable and sensitive to that movement, then they can be a hindrance. We talked about that, and I already said don't be an arthritic joint. <laughs> Let's don't do that. <laughs> Listen. When you're where you need to be, And I mean this to every one of you who are saved and part of this body. And really, all the ones that God has drawn here, even if you're not officially a member. I mean, here today, we're worshiping together. When you're where you need to be, it makes it easier for me to be where I need to be. And when I'm where I need to be, it makes it easier for you to be where you need to be. Isn't that how your body works? Man, your hip messes up your knee, your knee messes up your neck. It's all connected. We're talking about harmony in the body of Christ. And bear with me, I think five minutes I'll be done. We're talking about harmony in the body of Christ. We're talking about symphony versus cacophony. (laughs) In this symphony and harmony among the members, none of us has to plan it or schedule it if we're surrendered to the Lord and ready and willing to do whatever He instructs us to do as the head. Y'all ever seen a band get together and play improv? I love that. I mean, you take some good musicians, it's amazing. They can I've seen I've seen four or five guys come together who have never played together before. And there's a crowd watching them and the guy plays three notes and everybody's on the same page. And sometimes they'll just say, "What key are you going to be in?" That's how we should come together. Yeah. Head Jesus Christ, what key are you in today? Yeah. What key are you in? Are you in a key of joyful exuberant excitement? Are you in a somber key? Are you in a key of concern? Are you in a key of compassion? Are you in a key of the Lord is my light? Where are you at, Lord? Let's be in that key. Mm -hmm. That's why some services are exciting and some are quiet. Not all of them were running around the pews and making noise. That's silly. Lift up the Lord Jesus. Everything we think about, everything we focus on, everything we work toward, everything we do needs to be from and for and about the head. And by the way, this is my last point, point. one of the purposes and privileges of this life is to get comfortable with that. You know what the that I'm talking about, to be very clear? One of the reasons we live in this life is to get used to paying attention to the head, Amen. the Lord Jesus Christ, because... All of eternity is going to be focused on Him. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. If you're not used to focusing on Jesus here, it's going to take some... I don't know exactly how heaven's going to work, but I believe this. I believe that part of this life is training you to be better suited for heaven that there's a central part of you that God has saved and redeemed that's going to heaven. We could call it a soul or your heart or your spirit. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something in here Jesus saved. The scripture teaches us is sealed to the day of redemption and cannot sin. And that part of me is being conformed more and more to what Jesus wants me to be. And part of the point and the purpose and the privilege of this life is to have that part of you more conformed to Christ so heaven will be better. It's like preparing. Isn't that beautiful? I heard one person give this analogy one time. They said, you know, if heaven is like a a dance, then then earth is like the preparation for the dance. Man, wouldn't it be a shame to get there and you don't even know how to dance? Really. Let's get our eyes on Him. And don't forget, this is a warning against pride. But it's not supposed to be all doom and gloom and negative because it's all Him. It's Him. It's Him. Could we sing, Sister Jody, uh, I don't know if this is the title, but that song that says, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after Thy will while I am waiting, helpless and still. I think that's how the words go. Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Let's stand and sing that song, please. I'm finished. God bless you all. Follow the Lord if you need to seek Him, if you need to pray, if you just need to to worship as we sing today.